we enter into this wonderful passage of scripture. It's 71 verses long. So we're just taking the first few. <laughs> we're still biting off more than we can chew. But uh, the first 15 verses, my plan today, as the, as the screen says. This is um, the story of the feeding. We call it the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, it's really the fe feeding of the multitude, beyond 5,000. And it's, it's, it's a setup. Jesus sets these things up. Uh, pur purposefully. He's planned this whole thing. And it's a setup to do some major teaching that goes on into the rest of John chapter 6, which we'll, we won't get to. We're just going to look at the setup today. Uh, you know, it's, acknowledge this. Jesus could have done this three times a day, every single day. He could have fed multitudes of people. He could have snapped his finger and fed the entire world. Um, at any moment. He didn't do that. He chose to do this miracle at this time for a very specific purpose and purposes <laughs> to teach people at different levels of where they were, what they needed to hear. And my thesis of today is weakness and power in the face of overwhelming needs, we are inadequate. I just want to focus on this fact. It's, it, it's not okay to be inadequate. It's, it's the only way to be. <laughs> the reality is, the sooner we admit we are inadequate um, in spiritual terms, the sooner we are to finding the one who is adequate, to finding the one who has the answers, who has the solutions, who has the power. And when we depend on him and him alone, then we will be able to do what God wants us to do. Paul the Apostle, uh, just like Jesus, but Paul the Apostle, you know, if you read his works and you understand his heart, he, he's a fantastic, uh, amazing person. Not, not fault-free, he made some mistakes, clearly, uh, but he's a fantastic guy, and his whole heart was to tell people that Jesus Christ is the Savior for everybody. He spent his whole life doing that. Uh, but as a result, he received a whole lot of friction. Lots of people hated him. And they told evil stories about him. They gossiped about him. Um, all kinds of people. Even his friends were his enemies. You know. Um, and he said this in 2 Corinthians 12.10. It's recorded for us in 2 Corinthians 12.10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's the one who said, uh, my adequacy is not, I'm not, I'm not adequate on myself, in my own, own self. I can't even say the sentence. That's how inadequate I am. You know? um, my adequacy is of God. My sufficiency is of God. So let's read the text, and maybe you can see what I'm driving at. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, I'm going to interrupt myself a couple of times, probably not too, too much, but just a couple. I want to, this is an interesting textual note here. Um, John was raised as a Jewish 
gentleman in, in a Jewish culture. Uh, he was close to Jesus. He knew all about Jesus' life. And it's interesting that when he writes, John writes toward the end of his career, we think, and he's, but he's not writing to Jews. He's writing to a whole lot of people who don't know much about the Jewish culture. Um, and this is a case in point. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. He has to define even what the Sea of Galilee is. No, no Jew would need that definition. You know, you're insulting me by defining this. And also look at verse 4, same note. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews. We go, what? There's people in his audience who don't even know enough to know that the Passover is the feast of the Jews. The feast of the Jews. Uh, John has an audience that he's thinking widely and broadly. He's thinking about talking to people who don't know anything uh, about the cultural background of the Bible. I love that. And one of the things that I think is important, and again, this, uh, forgive me for starting out with a side note, but <laughs> I think it's an important side note. Let's kind of like carry it along as we think through various passages of scripture or listening, listen to various teachings along life's way. Um, the Bible tells us enough. It tells us what we need to know. And if it doesn't expand on something and we have to go to some other source to bring in some other cultural baggage, um, we're probably bringing in information that the Holy Spirit never intended for us uh, to put full weight on. It's kind of like, if you're going to create a dinosaur, don't put frog DNA in the DNA string, okay? It's unpredictable. <laughs> it may have results. This is a Jurassic Park reference, in case, what, what is he talking about? Uh, anyway, um, and it's, my point is this. John is writing to people who don't know the geography of Israel very well, and they, they may not even know much about the Jewish feasts at all. And yet, the points he makes are clear enough for anybody to understand. And he doesn't spend two days telling us all about what the Passover is. Uh, he wants us to focus in on what he tells us. So don't be distracted by what isn't in the Bible. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of heresies start with, let me tell you what's not in the Bible. Uh, the, the thing is, remember, this is God's word. He wrote it on purpose. He knows what he's doing. Trust him. So, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Very literal translation there. He was doing these signs on the sick. This is saying that Jesus did tons of miracles that are not recorded in the book of John. Only a few are recorded, but he's been doing tons of them, healing people right and left, dramatic, huge. So a huge crowd is excited about these signs that he's been doing. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Uh, the other Gospels, this is recorded in the Synoptic Gospels as well, Matthew, Mark, I think Luke, but I know it's in Matthew and Mark. And they say, he literally was trying to get away from the crowd. He was exhausted. He was tired. He said, let's get away. Let's go to a desolate place by ourselves up on the mountain there. But he wasn't getting away from them. 
Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Interesting why that's here. Why did he put that fact in? This, this text will be about Jesus feeding the masses. Uh, and later, this text will be about Jesus himself being the bread that was sent down from heaven to feed people. And at Passover, they had the unleavened bread uh, that they would break and eat. And Jesus, of course, would take the Passover and say, this is my body, which is for you. I am the Passover. I am the lamb. I am the bread given. So he sets this up and kind of a, a, a foreground here, the Passover, where the G Jews would feast at this time. And it, it also means there's, they're way up north. They're not near Jerusalem. But there's a lot of commotion and people traveling around at this time of year. It's like, you know, a week before Christmas and uh, all over the East Coast, the highways are buzzing back and forth. Uh, <laughs> he used to live on the East Coast. It's a big, big deal, isn't it, Tony? We, we don't quite have that so much here in California, not the same kind of feel. Anyway, that's what he's talking about. Big commotion, also setting up this symbolic background for what he's about to do. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing what a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this. Look at verse 6. He said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Remember, um, I made the point last week that Jesus did the signs that were given to him. Whatever the Father gave him to do, he did. These were his assignments, his appointments. This is what he did. He did what the Father told him to do. He knew what he was going to do. <laughs> he knew from before he created the earth. He knew that he would do this miracle on this day. He has a purpose for it. But he's testing the disciples. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about five in number. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, this is very much like the communion, the Passover, the Seder service, uh, when he had given the Eucharistic prayer. Remember the word for thanks is Eucharisto. That's this word, he gave thanks. He took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he's saying they had way more than they even wanted. They were full. He's talking about Thanksgiving full, you know, where you have that way too much extra plate and you can barely move afterwards. This is this word here, to be full. <laughs> when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, 
Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. That's interesting language. We'll probably visit that some other time too. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's pray. Dear Father, break now the bread of life to us. Your word is uh, the food that you have given us. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Father, we acknowledge this is your word, and you have a purpose for bringing all of us here today to think about this. We pray, O oh Holy Spirit, that you would be the teacher. And give me the words to say, I pray, in all humility. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so my thesis is weakness and power. And as I said, in, in the face of overwhelming needs, we are inadequate. Uh, I want you to enter into your inadequacy this morning. <laughs> it's like a group meeting. I am inadequate. <laughs> uh, he laughs alone. <laughs> What's going on here? Why do I say this? God tests us with large challenges. God tests us with large challenges. This is a very large challenge, and Jesus sees it forming. Uh, first of all, by way of introduction, there's this interesting fact here that I think is an example for us. Um, notice it says, verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him. Jesus noticed what was going on around him. One of the marks of growing closer to God is a broken heart for what's going on around you, being sensitive to the spiritual crisis that is in everybody's lives. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I, for some reason, like the radio on a lot. Like, I go brew the coffee in the morning and put the radio on. I've gotten into this interesting habit of listening to national public radio. <laughs> all things considered. Um, mainly because I got sort of sick and tired of all the commercials on commercial radio. But uh, it, it's constantly reminding us of massive needs in this world. and We live in a very torn up world. Uh, they said, they, the blurb I think this morning was about southern Sudan, how they're headed into a major uh, famine because they were unable to do their proper, you know, planting, etc. And it looks like there's going to be a major crisis there. Uh, another big blurb was what's happening in, in Iraq. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm at the risk of, I don't think there's any risk of this, by the way, but I, I'm, a, I'm an American. I'm kind of proud that we're hitting the guys causing so much trauma there. I think that's a good thing, you know. We should, we should do what we can. 
Uh, but the, the trauma in that region has been going on for so long. We have a missionary couple in Amman, Jordan, and you know Jordan is so stressed by this. The, the, the amount of refugees coming from Iraq is been, has been for the last, I don't know the number, but two years, I think, overwhelming. And then, and then have you heard, I'm sure, of the direct persecution of religious minorities and, and Christians in that vicinity. It's horrendous. It's overwhelming. Um, and uh, should we just tune it out and ignore it? Well, probably you don't have to meditate it day and night. Maybe I don't have to turn it on as I brew the coffee necessarily. But Jesus did see the crowds. And here's the thing, right? We look at this crowd of people and think, well, you know, their little crisis is they're hungry, perhaps. But he sees it as these people are lost, eternally lost. Remember the turn of emotion on the triumphal entry in, recorded in Luke? He's coming in and people are going, yay, you're really awesome, you're really awesome. And he sees the city and he breaks down in tears. He weeps over them. He goes, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I, I wanted to gather you. But you wouldn't do it. You don't even know the day of your visitation. You don't know the day that the opportunity that God gave to you. Each, each moment is an opportunity for all of us to come to God. And he lifted up his eyes to see the need. And remember uh, in the story of the woman, the Samaritan woman, remember he said this directly. Uh, to his disciples. Let's see here. Uh, it's here in... Let's see, did I write that down? I think I thought I wrote it down. Uh, let me read a little bit here. This is in John chapter 4. It says, uh, Jesus said, I, I read this last week. This is very good. John 4, 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Or, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. That's the punchline I was getting at. You, lift up your eyes, see the need, look around you. Who knows what the next moment will bring in anybody's life? Uh, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages, gathering fruit for eternal life. So Jesus takes the risk of opening his heart and mind and seeing. This is emphasized in John, excuse me, Mark. Mark also recorded this story. Mark 6.34 says this. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. It's a really strong, wonderful Greek word. It means he had a visceral uh, reaction. I love the sound of this Greek word. It's splankma. Splanknidzmai. <laughs> Splanknidzmai. Isn't that a great word? <laughs> it's the guts. You, you know, it, it hit me in the, my gut. I had a gut reaction. He's, he's moved deeply at this crowd. And listen to what, this is Mark 6.34. When he saw, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. That's that word Splunked into my compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So 
Jesus uh, sets this up. He sees the crowd, and he sets us up into overwhelming needs. It's, and it's, it's okay to feel inadequate in the face of those. He tests us. And see verse 6 as I read it. He said this to test him. Jesus literally wants to test the disciples. He's testing Philip. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? What is he testing? He wants to see that our ideas are inadequate to meet the need. Uh, Philip does a little math, and he's actually really pretty accurate. He says 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. 200 denarii is, is in our day is roughly uh, 200 days of, of a paycheck. And if and a laborer, a, a simple guy who gets only, a, let's say, $100 a day, which is fairly low wage, this would be about $20,000. That's just sort of a minimal level there. $20,000. But there are probably 15,000 people there. You might say, well, uh, pastor, it says there are 5,000. Matthew makes this point. Uh, so that we would know. Matthew 14, 21, same story. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Okay. So this crowd, they only counted the men, and there were a lot more than 5,000, and there may have been 15,000 or more. And so Philip does some quick math. It says if we, if we spend $1.30 per meal, it's going to take $20,000. And quite frankly, we don't have that money. Uh, our ideas are inadequate. It won't work. It just won't work. Uh, we have to realize that God has different ideas and different plans. And another way to say really kind of the same thing is that our resources are inadequate to meet the need. Our resources are inadequate to meet the need. Only five loaves and two fishes? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, right? Think of this tiny little lunch, this little tin lunchbox with, with uh, you know... Toy Story on it and Woody. You open that up, and in there are these five little barley loaves. I thought, ah, you know that 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 must be uh, that, that must be gluten free. <laughs> and I looked up. No, barley happens to be rich in gluten. So, <laughs> side note there, just an interesting point. <laughs> barley loaves and and uh, these fishes. It's it's ridiculous. This cannot. This is our human. Uh, supplies, our meager offerings. You know, we are called to be witnesses, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. And we can, what can we do? Can we reach in their soul, flip the switch, get them to believe? Can we get into their mind and get them to see Jesus uh, like they never saw him before? We, we, we can't surgically do that. We, we can't possibly do that. We can talk to them. Can reason with them. Uh, in, in the words of Scripture, we can preach to them. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 1.20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, you can't know God without special revelation. No matter how deep and wonderful and wise you are, you can sound like the wisest person in the world. 
But you can't know God if you shut yourself off from his word. You can know parts and bits, but it's an inadequate description of who he is. The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. That's 1 Corinthians 1, 20 and 21, down to verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. My point is this. In terms of spiritual change and growth, our resources are woefully inadequate. We, we can't produce it. I can't save people. I can preach the gospel and pray that the Holy Spirit does the work. Not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We depend only on him. Uh, and, and it's okay to feel inadequate. See, my, my whole job in life, I was, I was called to preach the gospel. My whole job, you know, what would be the ideal, right? You would think that you would go out and preach and, oh, zillions of people would believe. And uh, you'd have, you know, we would wear out the baptismal. We'd be baptizing so many people. Um, but this is in God's hand. And all I can do is preach the gospel, and he brings the results, and I depend on that. I depend on that. That's the only way I can face it. It's okay to be inadequate. He is adequate to meet these needs. In the face of overwhelming needs, this huge crowd, the disciples could never feed them. And whatever they had there was totally inadequate. We are inadequate, but he is fully adequate. So what are our options then in the face of overwhelming needs? Here are some uh, less than desirable options. Denial. You can just kind of live your life and just pretend that there are no problems at all. This is one of the um, dangers of being an American. We have denial down pretty well, and we're not even in Egypt. Denial's a river in Egypt, right? Um, you can just live this life in this bubble and act like there's no problem and, and not, not be like Jesus to see the crowd and have compassion on them and, and have a broken heart for our family or fellow workers. Uh, we can act like, no, no, it's, it's all okay. You know, I, I'm, I'm happy, they're happy. That's, that's denial. Or how about despair? You can enter into the problem, the overwhelming needs around us. I mean, things like... Uh, What's happening in Ferguson, St. Louis, Missouri? Those kind of things distress me. I don't know about you, but this riot that's going on, it's scary, and the fabric of our society is stretched. I don't know about you also, but I was really hit hard and saddened by the suicide of Robin Williams this, this past week. A man just given into despair, completely overwhelmed, uh, had, had no hope. You know, he never talked to me. I'm just guessing from what he did. Uh, and I'm sure it's fairly close to the truth. It, it, and it's, this is, if you just look at the need, if you just look at the problem, and you have no hope, you have no outside intervention, uh, you can despair and give in. Do not despair. Another option, it's kind of like denial, but it's, I'm going to call it diversion. And that's where you sort of have a, a program to fix the thing, and it sort of diverts everybody's attention, and it may help a little bit, but it doesn't really get to the problem at all. 
the base problem is never really solved. It's a kind of a diversion. It's different than denial because you're active and you're doing something, but it's, it's just diverting the attention from the real problem, the, the real problem, the need for actual repentance, the need for actual growth. Um, so these are some options not good, of course. Another option is faith. <laughs> this is why Jesus did this. This is why he asked Philip, hey, how are you going to feed this group of people? Disciples, you have to solve this problem. He wanted them to say, I'm overwhelmed. I need help. I need you to help me. It's the stuff of our prayers. What makes you pray? Not living in denial or despair or diversion. It's saying, this is a really big issue. I've got to pray. I just love the language of the Bible. We come to the throne of grace to find help in what? Our time of need. It's good to be needy. And it's good to bring it to the throne of grace. Oh, I had the privilege, I, I know I've told you a story, but if you, if you ever get to go to the Taj Mahal, I've been there a couple times, great privilege. Across the way from it, there's this big, uh, it's called a red fort. There's several red forts in India, but this one's in, uh, right next to the Taj Mahal. And it, it's the, the people who built the Taj Mahal built this uh, red fort, and it was their, um, a governmental center. They would hold government there. And you could go into their court, sort of like their supreme court, and um, you go in there and there's the, the, the throne. And what the throne was is it's about two foot thick slab of, of marble. I think it's black, it's real dark. And it's about 10, 12 feet wide and maybe 10 or 8 or 10 feet deep. It's just massive marble, you know, and the, they would sit up there. And these are the Mughals who would pronounce judgment and rule from this throne. You know, and, and I'm so happy that when we come into the throne room of God, we find it a throne of grace. It's not hard, cold marble not capricious. It's not self-centered. It's, it's God himself who is love, and who's next to him? Our counselor, our representative, who died for us. He paid it all. And that's who we find at the throne of grace. So is it good to be overwhelmed? Yes, when it pushes you to faith. We have faith in Jesus Christ. You can't get enough of just saying that name. Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why we have faith in him, the rest of the story. Jesus displays his power. Again, he orchestrates this. He knew he was going to do this. This was assigned to him by his father, and it displays his power once again. In 2 Peter, I think it's one, uh, 2 Peter 1.19, we declared to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here is John. He's declaring to us today the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And three ways I think he does it here. First of all, by showing that he is in control. He's, he's not stressed out. He's not wringing his hands. He's in control. And first of all, it, I think it shows up by controlling the crowd. John doesn't make a very big deal of, of this. He just says in verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. So we have 15 to 20,000 people on this hillside, and one guy without a microphone, 
is able to issue this decree and get the crowd organized. That's a miracle, I'm telling you. That's amazing. Um, a little background on this, too. Uh, this is in um, Mark, Mark 6:39. Again, the same story. It says, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. I think that's cool. He's in control. He's going to make this thing happen. He's organized. He knows what he's doing. We can trust him. Secondly, by solving the problem, of course, <laughs> it's one thing to set the stage to get them to sit down in groups, but it's quite another thing to actually solve the problem. And, and to read the words here again in Scripture, this is John 6, 11, then... Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and they had more at the end than they had at the beginning, way more. Uh, it says they had 12 baskets filled with fragments. Uh, from the five barley loaves. So he solves the problem. He has full capability, and he uses our meager resources. Notice that. He worked through the five loaves and two fishes. He didn't need to. He could ex nihilo create out of nothing, but he literally took these five little buns and the two dried fish, and broke those up, and 20,000, 15,000, well, how many ever people were there, got their fill. How much, you know, bread and fish, fish sandwiches uh, fills you up? You know, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's more than what the, the original sandwich for every single person there, and more than the original lunchbox with Woody on it. So it, it's huge, it's massive. The proportions are crazy, wonderful, and big. But he used our meager resources. Did you notice in Psalm 90 today, it ends with a kind of a strange statement. It says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God works through us. He wants you to be involved in his work. <laughs> yeah, you can't do it, but you bring what you have. You put it in the hands of him who can, he who can do the work. You put it in his hands, and he'll do it. And you'll, you'll be a part of it. That, 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 that's my fish. <laughs> that's a part of the fish I brought. <laughs> and, and it's such a beautiful thing. It, this is where we get our significance. This is where we think, wow, this is pretty exciting. I'm being used by God to do his work. I'm, his work is flowing through my feeble efforts. And, and there's nothing more exciting than that. You see, you don't have to be adequate to be used by God. In fact, you have to realize you're inadequate. <laughs> You'd have to be the world's best orator. And you, you don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to know all the theology. You don't have to have it all down pat because the truth is none of us do. <laughs> the more you study, like my great Hebrew professor used to say, and it's, he didn't originate this, but 
What does education do? It broadens the horizons of your ignorance. Yeah. The more you study, you go, wow, I'm really ignorant about a lot more than I thought I was, you know? There's a lot out there. It's infinite, and it's to humble us. To humble us. He solved the problem. He used our meager resources. And then finally, uh, Jesus displays his power by doing what he pleases. I know sometimes my wife says, Nate, you're a monomaniac. You keep coming back to the sovereignty of God. <laughs> every, every sermon, you come back to the sovereignty of God. Well, excuse me. You know? <laughs> I'm telling you, I am enamored with God. And he's, he's so different. He's wholly different. And one of the things that makes him absolutely different is he's 100% in control. He is the sovereign God, the king of the universe. And he does what he pleases it didn't please Jesus to be king right now. I'm not going to be king just because the crowd wants me to be king. No, I'm going to walk up to you. He just walked away. And somehow we didn't grab him. <laughs> somehow we didn't follow him. <laughs> he just walked away. <laughs> he does this a few times. It's so cool. Uh, he does what he pleases. This is a couple of the Psalms. Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. See, I know, I know, it's a little redundant if you've listened to me a lot, but Ephesians 1.11, <laughs> Ephesians 1.11, he works all things after the counsel of his own will. He, he works, he's ta energuntas, ta panta, he, energuntas is, is an active uh, participle, participle, yeah, uh, active, uh, present, he is he is the one who is constantly, presently working all things after what he's already decided that he would do. And tapanta literally means the all. The all. We throw in things because we like the word things. <laughs> but we don't even need the word things. He just works the all. And this is a part of the all. It wasn't his time to become king. No thank you very much. I don't need to do that. I'm doing what I please. So here's a, a way to think about this more specifically. How about you? Are you panicked by stress? Oh, I'm, I'm a big panicker. I panic too. I know where you are. What should we do with panic? We should bring it to God. Trust Jesus. Bring it to God. Trust him. Pray. N understand who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. He's in control. Are you locked into a habit? This can lead to despair. This can lead to horrible conclusions, wrong, wrong conclusions. I wrote a blog about Robin Williams this week, not specifically, but about uh, uh, suicide in general. Because to me, one of the, the biggest tragedies is, on a human level, they think that somehow when they die, they cease to exist. And there's no more pain. They see it as an escape from pain. But the Bible's absolutely emphatic is that when you die, it's a transition to eternity. Everybody, everyone lives. You either live in judgment or in heaven, uh, blessed by God. So now is the time to figure out how to be saved through Jesus, you know? And I, I don't mean that flippantly at all. With all due respect to Robin Williams and his family, I, I grieve with them, I absolutely do. But he made a horrible, 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 horrible mistake. 
And uh, don't despair. If you're locked into a habit, trust and obey. Do the works of repentance. It's, it's there. Make changes. I used to talk to people. I know this is simple. I'm a simpleton. I used to talk to people like, oh, I want to quit smoking. Well, why don't you quit buying cigarettes? Well, I can't do that. <laughs> i got to keep buying cigarettes. Well, you know, you don't have to. I know it's horrible. I know that cigarette addiction is, is, is terrible, I've been told. I've never had it. But you've got to take action if you want to repent. Trust and obey. Do you think you're hopeless? Hope in God. Jesus is the prophet. He's the one to listen to. The crowd's had it right. Let's pray. Father, please, in your kindness and grace, take my inadequate efforts to open up this text and use it for your glory, I pray. We give it to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are all-powerful and we can bring our little gifts to you and you can do way beyond all that we ask or think. And Lord, uh, I do pray for uh, all of us here that first of all, if, if we are feeling overwhelmed, that we'll enter into that and allow ourselves to feel overwhelmed, to push us to you, to push us to your mighty, wonderful throne that's not a cold slab of marble, but it is a throne that is characterized by goodness, grace, and it's it's. We are represented there by the one who gave himself for us. We depend on him and him alone. We don't depend on ourselves at all. We depend on him and him alone as we come to you, Lord. Lord, if somebody's here in despair or close to it, I pray that you will give them hope, oh Lord. You will open their hearts to see that they can live for you and live used by you, Lord. Please, in your kindness, open us all up see this great truth. And Father, we pray that we would honor you as we feel overwhelmed, as we feel hopeless, that we'll hope in you. Amen.
So a couple of things. First of all, if, if you have any desire to speak to us, we're totally available. Um, go to the webpage, you can find my cell phone, it's fbcmonterey.org, or my number is 320-9991. Give me a call, I'd be happy to help. Secondly, if you can, please stay for lunch right downstairs. We'll kick it off in a few minutes, we'll have a great time. And remember the picnic, uh, the fire, the bonfire on the beach Saturday night. 13th, where 13th in Carmel hits the ocean. Let's pray with a benediction. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it should be returned unto him? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining us.